you know, I've been an entrepreneur since I've been a, an adult, right? So it's like I don't I don't know a normal life. I don't know a nine thirty to five thirty business. All I know is a nine thirty to to midnight lifestyle. Welcome everyone to the Ultimate Shift. Join Ephraim Glick and leading figures in business and entertainment as they share their stories of regular people overcoming tremendous obstacles only to achieve happiness, success, and fulfillment. Are you ready to make the ultimate shift in your life? Okay, welcome back to the ultimate shift. Today we have um, Adam Lynn, the co-founder and president of Breakaway and Prime Social Groups. Um, you are recently named by Billboard Magazine as a dance power player. Uh, you've done all kinds of stuff, and you, you're actually in some other entrepreneur stuff as well, right? Yeah. Like some other companies that you're working with now. And can you just tell us a little bit about Adam Lynn, like how you got to where you are, how it started, and then uh, kind of what you're working on today? Yeah, well, thanks for the, the nice intro there. Power Players, that was, that was a nice, nice accolade. I don't know where they found that, but... <laughs> Appreciate them recognizing us. So I give a quick backstory, um, you know, just talking a little entrepreneurial here, but I've always sort of had a knack for creating. Um, even in, in high school, I was that guy, like when eBay first came out, I was, I was hot on eBay. So anything that wasn't nailed down in my house got listed on eBay. So really? like, tennis rackets, golf clubs. My dad would come home and be like, where the hell is our tennis rackets? And it's like... You know, I just got $32.95 on eBay. I just, I just thought it was cool. I, I always, you know, um, I grew up in a nice household, but I always thought it was nice to sort of, like, create my own income. Yeah. And, uh, like, early on, I remember it was a cool feeling when I told my parents I didn't want an allowance anymore. Oh, really? So I did that, yeah. You um, told them that? When I, was, when I was 12 years old, I, was, I cut myself from the allowance. Cause wow. I. Because that gave me then the freedom to not, you know, when, when your parents give you money, you're sort of uh, obliged to listen to them a little bit more. Right, right. Whereas if you're generating for yourself, it's like, you know what, I am going to stay out till midnight. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so, so kind of that entrepreneurial spirit started uh, early on in my life. And then um, in college, I actually started three, three companies in college. Uh, first one was a, a university, it was called ULAX. And I was a lacrosse player in high school. I went to University of Michigan, and we didn't have a club team at the school. So basically, you were either on the Michigan team or you weren't playing. And as someone who just like loved the sport, I played almost my entire childhood. I was like, how do I get some sort? Like it was just, and I was still good, right? I was good in high school, and so now I'm terrible. So now like I wouldn't <laughs> care. You know, I, I I grabbed a couple of guys and. You know, we had a, we had a 120 people sign up. So it was called University of Lacrosse, and it was like six teams. And I was a captain and running the show. I ended up selling that business for a dollar. Really? Yeah, it was. I mean, it wasn't. There was no value to the company, and I just I one of the younger guys wanted to see it continue, and I just I said. But it's still the thought behind starting something from scratch and then yeah selling it for a dollar. So we sold it. Something. <laughs> um, I moved on to what I think was my best idea, probably my life was, um, I should say my life, I've done some other cool things, but it's called Go Blue Beverages. So this is 2008, 2009, when like, you know, iPhones are first hitting and websites are developing and people are popping things up. And I was like, 
how do we figure out beverage deliveries, right? So think like, so like alcohol or not just alcohol? Non-alcoholic. Okay. So, so what I was doing, so I built this website. It was actually like way ahead of its time. But you would go on the site and you could custom build a package of, of 24 drinks. So you would go in and say, I want four Gatorades, I want two Snapples, and I want two Diet Cokes. So you'd fill up a, this carton, and me and my guys and I had a team of like five people. We had a, a big warehouse, not a warehouse, like a storage unit that cost me like 100 bucks a month. And we'd go and we'd build these things, and they'd check out online. and Then you'd go buy the drinks and ship it to them? Yeah. No, I wouldn't ship it. We would deliver it directly to them. Really? So you basically had the Amazon idea before it was... Correct. Correct. Wow. I, uh, I really had like Postmates or like any of those beverage delivery companies, and that was 08, 09. But we were, we were cruising. I mean, we were doing like thousands and thousands of dollars of revenue. Everyone on campus was using it. Go Blue Beverages, if you look it up, it's kind of funny. Wow. Funny ass logo and everything. And Go Blue is University of Michigan, so it's like Go okay. Blue. Um, so this was was this more of an on campus thing, or was it just like everywhere at this point? It was it was on campus, and I was starting to get people at other universities to sign up to bring this beverage delivery to other campuses. And, uh, and then I got distracted with my next business, which was a concert. And so this is my junior year at Michigan, and we are, you know, we're, we're, we're big socialites on campus, right? I, you know, I, I knew everyone in every sorority and fraternity, and I knew the football players. And, and so I just started throwing events, and it really wasn't to make money. It was just because I thought it was so much fun. And we, we, we would rent out clubs, and I was booking DJs, and, and everything was selling out. Like, I, you know, not to give myself too much credit, but, like, we were, we were killing it on campus. So entrepreneurial Adam over here is like, well, how do you up that ante just a little bit? So I book who's my favorite hip-hop performer of that time and, and probably one of my top of all time, Nas. Right? So I book Nas in my junior year. So how do you do that? So... I understand you're yeah. a big promoter at this time yeah. and stuff, but like, I was really curious reading your story. Mm-hmm. How do you make the start of getting to those people? And it may be, may be before some of their primes, but still, yeah. they can't be as easy as just reaching out through Instagram or DMing or text yeah. message. You're right. You're right. And it's actually a good point is that was incredibly challenging, okay? Because if you don't have a track record, specifically in the concert business, no one's really going to give you the time of day because there's so much that can go wrong. The track record of, of, of having maybe put some other shows on before Correct. or whatever. Correct. So if you're the new guy, you're, you're going to have a hard yeah. time. And, uh, and the industry is full of kind of people that are looking to get in, but don't have the capital, don't have the experience, don't have the marketing capability. So, you know, as an agent, you got to protect your client from like a disaster, right? Mm-hmm. Think Firefest, right? Like the right. biggest disaster. Right, right. You know, as an agent, you got to say, is this person, is this group going to put together, like, a successful event? Forget about getting paid. That's a whole other story. But, like, you know, God forbid the security guards don't show up or there's no porta potties or, like, you name it, there's just a ton that could go wrong. So as a new company, all the agents have a wall, and you have to figure out how to get through that wall or get around the wall. Mm-hmm. So I went around the wall okay. <laughs> with my first show. So what I was able to do was I worked with the arena in outside of Ann Arbor called the Eastern Michigan University Communication Center. 
and that's where I really learned about the industry and what I was able to do was let let them actually book the show on behalf of the of the arena. Now I still paid for it, but as long as it came via the arena, the agent was comfortable that it, it was the show was going to happen. The bills were going to get paid because mm-hmm. um, it was in an arena that's already established. Correct. Okay. They've done a lot of business, obviously owned by a university. It felt like so so that that was my ability to get around that wall. Now, remember, I didn't go through the wall because I wasn't developing a reputation for Adam Lynn, or my company at the time was called Social Studies with YZ, which I thought was a cool name. You know, so I wasn't establishing myself as, as Adam Lynn, the concert promoter. Eastern Michigan University got credit for that first show. But anyway, so, so we, we booked the show, you know, again, going just like sort of a loophole in the system. It tanks. Uh, it was a disaster. I went from like making all this money guaranteed to sell out and I brought this thing outside of campus and so everyone had to get in buses and it was like 20 minutes from campus and there was another event that night and like it just didn't go well. Mm -hmm. Um, So probably should have been the end of that business venture but I was so gung-ho on A, I had a blast even though it, it tanked. It was just like the coolest experience probably one of the youngest concert promoters in the history of like that business, especially at that scale. So it's like to, to even have produced, you know, a massive concert at like 19 years old. It was, uh, it was, it was just like exhilarating. So I don't want to give up. But what is tanking at that point? Is it, is it, you're saying a tank, but like you still got it together. People still showed up or, or do you mean a tank as in not enough people showed up? It was a financial tank, but the show was produced well. Nas had a great experience. I had a blast. My family Which came starts in. your track record. Correct. So it's almost like you invest in your career. I just wish I hadn't. I probably swung a little too big too early with that type of show. The timeline was really short. Like I only had like a month to promote it. And, you know, all the mistakes that you make right. when it's your first venture, it doesn't matter what business it is. Sure. So I ended up going to... Um, so that's my first semester of my junior year. Then my second semester, I ended up going to Australia. For my study abroad, so I went to the University of Sydney. It was like greatest four months of my life. And while I'm there, I get invited to a Kings of Leon concert. And Adam Lynn, like the young hustler, I was like, I want to meet the guy putting this thing on, right? Like, how do I, you know, I don't care about Kings of Leon. I was like, I want to meet the guy's name was Michael Chubb, and he's like the biggest, what I do, the biggest concert promoter in, in Australia. And I know it's a big arena tour in Sydney, so he's got to be there. But you don't know many people in, in Sydney at this time, or were you just starting to make connections? No, I, I mean, I, um, I, I like had established myself in Sydney, like again, in the events business, right? Just like promoting concerts and club events, and, um, but not to that extent, not to like an arena show, but what I was able to do was I found an email online, I got connected to the marketing director, who then did actually invite me to Michael Chubb's suite at that Kings of Leon show. So you're just you're just great at, at meeting people and <laughs> you just gotta you gotta put yourself out there. If you don't if you don't attempt it, it's kinda like trying to pick up a girl at the bar, right? You could sit there in the corner and be like, Man, I, I wish I would go talk to that girl. You could actually just go talk to her. Right. So So um, what's your what's your advice going with Paul's there Because I'm I'm intrigued. I'm always intrigued by people who I'm I'm definitely not an introvert, but I have friends who 
who wish they could, or let's say someone was to move to Nashville, like yeah. I did when I first moved here, I didn't know anyone. They want to get to know people, they're kind of shy. Someone like you, that's so easy to get to know people, or, and you're not shy, you're, you know, you're not, you're willing to put yourself out there. What's your advice to that person, that, that new kid coming in that wants to make a splash and maybe mm-hmm. wants to make a hit, wants to follow their dreams, whatever it is. What's your advice to someone like that uh, to putting themselves out there? What's the secret to becoming, you know, the social Adam Lynn? Yeah, it's a good question. I'd say just um, sitting on your couch is not going to do much for you, right? So, like, whether it's going to showcases and standing at the bar and, you know, there there's ways to find people like myself or, like, high executives in a situation where their guard's not up and they're not um, unattainable, right? So here's a good example. If some kid, and I get this all the time, right? Some college kid that wants to be in the business and would love an internship or a job or anything. And I get these all day, every day, emails, texts, Instagram messages, you name it. If I met someone at a bar while I'm having a drink and can sort of meet someone where I'm not in front of my screen and I've got a zillion things and my phone's ringing off the hook, I'm way more willing to make time to speak to that person, especially like in a setting like that, right? So it's it's more of um, if you're trying to find someone, the traditional route is usually going to be challenging, but if you get creative with it and you, you know, like you're trying to meet the president of Sony, right? But you know... He goes to this bar, he, you know, he, that's his bar he goes to every Thursday, Friday. You know, I don't know how you figure that stuff out, but you, you know, Instagram, you watch stories. I, there's ways to be like just creative about things and people want to meet other people. It's just, it, it's hard in your traditional setting, right? So that, that actually is a perfect example. Like I went to this guy's concert when he's like having drinks and entertaining guests. And that's when I made that introduction. I didn't try to get into his office. Gotcha. So I caught him in a place where he's comfortable and he's having a good time. And I told him my story. And I said, look, I'm, I want to be like you. Can I? Can Completely I transparent. Yeah. yeah. I mean, awesome. and, and not in a competitive way. I mean, this guy's in Australia. I got to go back to the U.S. But well, maybe that's part of the secret is to sometimes people want to show up and pretend they're bigger than they are or less than, or, you know, whatever. Or they don't believe that they are either. It sounds to me like you're just like, look, you just said, I want to be like you. Like, yeah. that's, an, that's, that's kind of like, a, uh, that's a compliment to whoever you're saying that yeah. to. Yeah, it's, um, he was intrigued. And so the next week, I started my first day as an intern for Michael Chug, Chug Entertainment. No way. And uh, yeah, so my entire, so that entire study abroad, I was then working in the concert business. So this my honestly my first and only internship in this entire industry was while I was in Sydney. And I did learn a lot. I learned a lot about settling shows and marketing plans. And I mean, these guys are big. You know, the fact they had Kings of Leon, right. that's, that's a big band, obviously. Um, and that was 2009 when they were on fire, no pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> what is the biggest challenge of... If for someone to do what you did, to put 1,200 shows a year on, mm-hmm. and you're doing Breakaway, and you're doing all these other festivals that I don't even know the name of, but I just know Breakaway is a big one here in Nashville and, and Ohio, wherever. What is the biggest challenge of managing that many people and that many high-profile people 
from the artists you get into that you've found? There's no way I could do this on my own, right? And, and the reason we've been able to scale and have the success that we've had is by finding really great people. And, and I learned this really on, early on in my career. It's easy to just get caught up in emails and day-to-day -day and growth and sort of forget about human capital. And you just sort of hire the first, you know, hey, I need a marketing director. What do you mean by human capital? Meaning employees, right? Okay. Like, you know. If, People if you, you invest in. Yeah. And, and taking that, especially as an entrepreneur in like a new business, um, you should really, really dedicate a lot of time to interviewing, to outreach, to, to find, because you will never, ever scale a business properly if you don't have the team there. No one can do it on their own. No partners can do it on their own. It comes down to it. And those first few hires of your company, if you, if you hire them well, they'll be there when you sell your company five years, ten years later. Right? So, so they believe in the vision that you're doing, whatever you yeah. do. You find people that really believe in that. Maybe it's not even always about the money. Yeah. They believe more in the vision than, than what they're getting paid. Mm -hmm. Is that a thing? Yeah. People want to buy into, and same thing when you raise money, is um, you're buying into obviously the business and the vision, but also like who's the captain, right? So like you're, you know, investors say like, I invest in good entrepreneurs, you know, it doesn't matter the business plan, I believe in, and I believe in you or I don't believe in you, right? So, but back to your point was I hired really well. I have a great team of people and um, when it comes to the shows itself, every box is checked. So I, I'm, I'm obviously, I, I work incredibly hard at, at the events, but it's really just making sure everything is running smooth and to the point that it's like, if I'm not there, it's still moving at 100%. Um, and so that, that's really how we've been able to scale and, and been successful and, you know, started with one, it was, it was, it was me. And then I, you know, my first hire when I was a senior and, you know, obviously now I have a, a business, full 50% business partner, Zach Rubin. And now this happened because we discussed this before we started recording, but you, you kind of linked up with your competitor yeah. just outside, of, just out of college, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and now you guys are, now you build what's, what's now a prime social group. And, and yeah. so there's the two of you guys putting on all these shows right now. Yeah. And, and so there's a good point to that as well as like, I'm a strong believer in good partnerships. And I learned that early in my career, right? So Zach's company was called Prime Productions. My company was Social Studies. So that's where we got Prime Social Group. Okay. And, and the quick story of how we met was, um, Steve Aoki in 2010 was kind of still a small name DJ. Now he's massive. Everyone knows Steve Aoki. But at the time, he was playing in Vegas and LA and New York and Miami, but was never going to play Ann Arbor, Michigan, where I was living, or Columbus, Ohio, where Zach was living. An opportunity came about to put on Steve Aoki in, in Ann Arbor, and Zach was going to do the Columbus show. But the agent was interested in doing a couple more stops. So you had Bloomington, Indiana, and you had Madison, Wisconsin. And um, he actually connected us, the agent connected us to produce his tour. And um, at the time, I, you know, I just said I'd done everything on my own. And, and I had done it, maybe not as great as it could have been, but, you know, I still marketed the shows and settled the shows. And, 
they enjoy the experience, but it's a ton of work. And so what I, what I found very quickly when doing this tour with Zach was a lot of the things that I didn't think I was great at, which is the financials, the, you know, like really the numbers, which is a big thing, the ticketing. Um, Zach was just like amazing at. And um, the whole tour does really well. Every day it sells out. And so it, businesses are always better when things are positive, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so we leave this tour with a great experience from one another. We're on a tour bus with Steve Aoki. I'm still 21 at the time, so I'm like ecstatic that I'm hanging out with Steve Aoki. We were playing Madden on the, uh, the screen in the bus. And, you know, <laughs> like a life-changing experience. And, and so when it, when it was all wrapped, we ended in Columbus. I went to an Ohio State football game, which I went to University of Michigan. So Ohio State versus Michigan is like craziest rivalry in sports. And I got to experience a little bit of a different tailgate and game experience. And Zach got us like amazing seats and, and I'll never forget. And I met his dad, who I, to this day I consider like my second father. You know, he said, well, let's do some more of these, right? We were successful together and, you know, I'm from New York and was graduating college. So I'm deciding if I'm going to move back to New York. It's going to be really hard to put these things on in the Midwest from New York City. But I didn't really want to stay in Ann Arbor because, you know, when you, I don't want to be Zoo, uh, not Zoolander. What's the guy? Uh, Van Wilder. I don't want to be Van Wilder, just like right. staying on campus after I graduated. So, um, so this kind of presented like a best of both worlds where I was like, still get to stay in the Midwest, still part of sort of that college lifestyle, which is... Ohio State, Columbus is, is a big city, but it's got a big university. And so when Zach said, let's, let's do this, let's partner, but, you know, it's got to be in Columbus. I was like, if you asked me when I was a kid that I would move to Ohio from New York, no freaking way. But that was 2010, and now it's 2020. So it's crazy, 10 years. Obviously, things went well, and, um, you know, fast forward, we're... We're one of the largest independent concert festival producers in the country. Um, Zach and I have been in business for a decade and, you know, ups and downs, just like any partnership. It's like, it's like getting married, right? Like, right. We're, you know, you're in war together and, um, you know, we're still chugging along and uh, was poised to have really, really a massive 2020. Um, I had closed a big investment into the company that was actually set to close in, in March that was gonna just give us all the growth capital that we needed to, to go from four breakaways up to, you know, 20 and, uh, and then go 20 breakaways, 20 yeah. different, I mean, 20 different events around the country? 20 cities for breakaways. 20 cities, yeah. Jesus, yeah. that's we, a lot of growth. We, uh, yeah, not, not in one year, but it would have been. Oh, okay, so with steps. Yeah, it was six and 10, then, 15 and then, you know, but yeah, so that was set to close in, in March and then we got back from a broad fest, which is our, our festival in Barcelona. And by the time, and that's the first week of March, by the time we got back, it was like COVID had gone from this thing that was like, people were talking about, that was like, and it, it was in China, but it was never going to leave China. I was like, all right, I hope they're doing okay over there to then. I was like, uh oh, now it's in Europe. And then. 
That's here and everywhere else. Shit, then it hit, then it hit right in our backyard, and it just, it was bad in Washington and California, and I, I just, I'll never forget it, and, and this huge deal, life-changing deal, just literally crumbled. Really? Yeah. So, let's talk about that. As an entrepreneur, it's, I feel like it's always interesting, I mean, it's always important to be able to pivot, but what does, what does... COVID do and how do how does a company like yours that's basically in the business of people yeah how do you navigate that I mean how do you prepare for you can't prepare for that possible first off like I, I've I've said that COVID was kind of like the the stages of uh, you know when someone passes away you kind of go through like these eight different stages right so immediately it was like almost like I didn't believe it. Right, and then it was denial like, stage. Denial, and then it was like you know, because like, how's this gonna happen to me? Like right as we're supposed to close this deal, I, I was like, this is a bad dream. So you're denial, and then it's like regret. You know, all these just different emotions and stages. Um, you know, to the point where in May we have to cancel. So that was when we officially had to forget about the investment piece. We were. Still set to have a major year. I had huge partnerships with Amazon and Bumble and Boohoo and Monster, just big brand deals. Mm -hmm. um, gonna have a massive 2020, and I was like, all right, well, we lost the investment, but at least we'll still have a huge year. You what know? does that do in your mind when you're thinking, like, there's my, I mean, I'm just thinking of this from an entrepreneurial perspective, from a business owner perspective. You're thinking, where's my revenue gonna come from? Where's, yeah. where's all this? So, what yeah. are you thinking at this time? Are you, is this like, What's going through your head? Yeah, I, I mean, I think initially, I, I think just like everyone, I thought the thing was going to blow over pretty quickly. And, you know, at one point Trump talked about, like, Easter, being back over by Easter, right? And so, I'm like, in my head, I'm like, all right, well, and let's, we could just push breakaway just a little bit, you know, push the announcement. The window won't be as big, but at least we could still do it. And so then it's like, now April comes and goes, COVID's still here. Then May is getting worse, and then so mid the sponsors are probably pulling out at this point. Sponsors are all canceling. It's like no no one wants to be involved in a live event. It's too risky. Yeah. So I'm losing my sponsors. Um, I have to start furloughing employees because we we go from expecting a lot of revenue to expecting zero revenue. So now I'm having a take staff, start paying them less. Uh, at first, we, we cut staff to half pay just to continue to keep people employed. And then, then we have to fully furlough basically the entire team, which, which was incredibly challenging. And um, yeah, and then, and then we cancel the events in May and just like Coachella and Bonnaroo and Lollapalooza, all the big guys, you know, put out a statement and due to unforeseen circumstances, blah, 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 same bullshit jargon. The one silver lining of that process was um, we offered full refunds to anyone who bought a ticket. Okay. There were a couple of people in my position that did not, were not financially capable of refunding everyone their money back. It would have, they didn't have enough money, right? Because a lot of times this capital comes in and it gets spent on marketing and production and artist expenses. and. So fortunately, we were capitalized enough to say, anyone who bought a ticket, you get a full refund, you know? It's incredible. Fill out this form. It, it was a, um, again, it's just a fortunate situation that we, we had not spent much of the capital that had come in. 
lot of people just, the closer you were to your event, the more likely you were to have spent that money, right? Because, you know, Ultra got canceled three days before the festival. So imagine those guys, right? They've got stages set up. They've paid all the artists. You've already spent all your marketing money. Fortunately for us, we were six months before our festival. So we were like very early in the cycle. I hadn't paid any artists. I hadn't paid any production. We paid a little marketing. So all the money that was collected for ticket sales, which was quite a bit, I mean, six figures of ticket sales, had not been touched yet. Yeah. So ultimately, when we cancel it, we say, you know, any, any Breakaway fan that needs a refund. Now that capital is very, very important to us because we're looking at a, a zero revenue year, right? So like any dollar we collected was money that we really didn't want to part with, but you're obligated to do so, right? But even so, let's say you refunded all the ticket. If you have six figures in ticket refunds, you still have your credit card processing fees that you already mm-hmm. paid. So yeah. that's, that's used yeah. to two to 3% of that. Yeah. yeah, That's what most people don't even realize. Yeah, so there, yeah, there's fees, like you're losing money. So if you have to refund every dollar, as the promoter, you're gonna be negative. Um, but, but we made the decision, so we offered full refunds. And what I, this was the silver lining of the whole process was, I was um, very happily surprised that people were so supportive of us in the sense that, um, you know, we put out a statement that's like, you know, if you're in the position to leave your money with Breakaway, you obviously will get a ticket for next year. We actually said, we'll give you another ticket, right? So you get to bring a friend, which I thought was a really creative idea. Um, and we had we had the lowest um, refund request in, in the country. Wow. Yeah, so of, of I wanna say it was like 6,000 tickets, we had a 13% refund request. That's so um, it just showed that, you know, people, we have a loyal sort of following, people that, you know, um, sympathize with the situation and are excited about Breakaway and, and are, have faith that we'll bring it back. And, um, you know, so that, that really helped us because, you know, now that little bit of extra capital gives us a small runway for the year. You know, I don't, I don't think any of us thought in March and April that I'd be sitting here in October with still no, no real timeline, right? Like, and you still don't know. Yeah. Like meaning even going into 2021, you can't really plan ahead. And I, I think I think any business that can withstand that kind of, of a hit and come out ahead is is extremely. I mean, I think it just says a lot about your your leadership yeah. and your partner. You know, just the fact that you guys can withstand this and it hasn't bankrupt yet. Yeah. And it just says a lot about how you guys run your company. Yeah. And so we are we are going to push ahead with 2021. Similar strategy, right? Just minimize outbound expenses. Um, we still want to do six festivals next fall. Um, you think you'll get your deal back? With Amazon and the big guys, I, I would say it's well, about about the investment deal. Do you think there, there's a chance that that will come back? I would say it'll be a challenge. It'll certainly be a challenge. And I, I am super bullish on this industry long term, I, I think. Um, the unfortunateness of what happened in the industry actually creates a little bit of opportunity for me in terms of um, a lot of companies were not able to, to make it all the way through. And 
you know, a lot of friends of mine and, you know, U Street Music Hall just announced the other week that they're closing and more and more of that's going to happen. Um, but what that does is create more opportunity on the other side of this. So I need a balance sort of um, growth plus being able to, to make it long term, right? So yeah. we're sort of walking this, this, um, this fine line, um, but you know, we'll push through with our same strategy. Is it going to be an aggressive growth to 20 markets? Probably not, not with some additional funding. Um, you know, there's a chance we can't pull off all six, right? So we're, there, there's just a lot in the air. You know, I think from a timeline standpoint, fortunately, breakaway starts in, you know, in the fall of next year. Um, I'd like to think 12 months from now, the world looks a little different. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, I think for all of our sakes. I'm gonna, I might be looking for a new job. It's not, um, I have a feeling if that was the case, you'll be just fine from what you've built so far. Yeah, yeah, maybe go get an MBA or something, take some time <laughs> off. You know, I've been an entrepreneur since I've been a, an adult, right? So it's like, I don't, I don't know a normal life. I don't know a 9.30 to 5.30 business. All I know is a 9.30 to, to midnight lifestyle. Seven days a week. Seven days a week. We're recording this on a Sunday. And but people like you and me would never do well in a nine to five. Correct. I think once you've gone, once you've ran your own business, it would be incredibly difficult. Now, had you and I just gone out of college, probably like the rest of, of our, our peers, and joined a corporation and, and done that life, we never, you never would just would have known this lifestyle. And it's not for everyone. Right. Don't, there's something crazy about entrepreneurs. We're a little bit, we're a little bit insane because we yeah. believe in things we can't see. Correct. And and so then and you're literally living off of a, of a dream. Yeah. Of an idea of what you want your life to be or what you want your business to be. Yeah, I've been. Uh, our company has been on the brink of bankruptcy now three times, and that is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so when so many people are relying on you for their sources of income, it's just a ton of pressure. And it's, you know, it. at some point you're like, the upside is definitely not worth the downside, but, you know, then you just wake up and you keep doing it. Yeah, yeah you're insane enough to believe in it. I, I've been yeah. there many times. Yeah. Uh, well, we we're, we don't have as much time as we sometimes do here, but I've got a, two more questions. Like if, if you had, which is, it's kind of relevant here to you to what you do. If you had a world stage mm -hmm. where everyone's watching, you had five minutes, you don't have to take up five minutes here, but you had five minutes to tell the world something that they're gonna remember Adam Lynn by. What what do you think the world needs to hear right now? What are you gonna remember Adam Lynn by? Let's see. I, I wanna be first off I wanna be bigger than Live Nation. I think um, you know they, they've actually tried to buy our business a few times. A lot of the big companies out there, AEG and Live Nation and SFX, have, have tried to acquire us. And I remember when I was meeting with Michael Rapino, who's the CEO of Live Nation, super intelligent guy, probably like smartest guy I've ever met in the concert industry. They're whining and dining us, like, hey, you, know, you should join the team, it's great, this and that. And he's like, you know, and he asked me, he's like, what, where, where do you see yourself? Like, what's your goal? And I was like, with all due respect, it's in your seat. <laughs> I want to be the CEO of Live Nation. And then I think even furthermore is I want to build a company 
bigger than Live Nation. I've, I've got a long runway in this industry, and I love it, and I have not lost a step of my passion for what I do. I think it's the greatest job on the planet. When you're, when you're standing at a festival that you created, you built the brand, you built that lineup, you created an experience, and you're just standing on stage watching an artist perform and the crowd like erupting, there's no other feeling in the entire world. Nothing. You're bringing happiness to thousands of people at this point. Yeah. Think about like the, um, what's that, like, uh, computer game, like The Sims, right, where you like build roller coasters, but, you know, that's basically what I get to do. And it's music that I love, and it's people that I love, and it's my best friends, and it's my family, and it's, um, you know, I guess the takeaway is just like, I was incredibly lucky that I found success in something that I loved and I still love 10 years into it. But I don't think it's impossible to, to duplicate that. And I think for the entrepreneurs out there, it's like, what do you love, right? Because I'll tell you what, I would have made a lot more money if I followed my initial career, which was finance and investment banking and stock trading and stuff like that. But there is no chance in the world that I would have had as much fun and enjoyed the past decade like I have. The experiences. Correct. Money can't buy that. Sure, would I like to have a lot more money in my bank account now? Absolutely. But I wouldn't trade, I wouldn't trade the past 10 years for any amount of money. There's not a lot of people that can say that in their life. Yeah. I think the coolest thing that you do, and I'm sure you realize this too, is you're giving people, whether it's a day, whether it's two days, however long your, your festival is, that let's say they're stressed out about their life they're not mm -hmm. doing, they're not living the life they want to, or they're stressed out about college or their test scores and this and that. You're taking them outside of their environment, they're forgetting for that moment and that time, yep. and you've created that experience for them. I think that's incredible to be able to say, I built this. That's why we call it breakaway. So you get the breakaway. There, there you go. Cool. Well, if you had, if you could ask one person alive or dead, any one person, any one question, who would the person be and what would the question be? Any person, live or dead, I'd say, speaking of, of just dead, it's, it's, it's actually, remember, I've been in this business for a decade, right? So you just start thinking about the huge names that have erupted in, like, the 2010s. But one name just, like, stands out to me because I was just such a big fan of his. Um, well, two of them. First was Mac Miller. But I, I, I was never super close with Mac. I produced a bunch of shows of his. And, um, but Avicii, Tim, was someone, him and I are about the same age, he's a year younger than me. And I remember in 2011, doing his first show, College Runs. And um, he was the man. We were just like kids throwing, you know, he's DJing, he's fluent from Europe. And I was this 23 year old throwing concerts all over the country. We just, we had a connection. You know, we, we, we faded quite a bit, unfortunately, like as his career flustered and um, he exploded and, you know, we didn't maintain. But like that first couple of years when he was first seeing success and hadn't been, I don't want to use the word jaded, but he just, he, you know, became part of the scene and, and things change when you're in Vegas and L.A. and flying around on private jets and, um, you know, but, but that... Those first few years, man, we were super tight, and I just, I love that guy. Um, I guess if I had to ask him a question, what, what inspired you to make those first 
few songs where it was like so genuine. It had nothing to do with the money or the fame or anything. It was just like, that guy was magic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wish he was still around. And, you know, we, I, lost, I lost who was a friend. I lost an artist that we would have done a ton of business with. And um, the, the young leader of a revolution of music. And I think that's why you see so much, like, he passed away in 2018. I'll never forget the date. It was like eight, April 18th. I was producing a festival. We all got the text. Everyone got the text at the same time. Shocked. Just, but yeah, sorry to get emo with that one. I just got to pay that respect. No, it's all good. Well, I mean, I think we could pose the same question to you. Like, what inspired you? What was the inspiration for the biggest inspiration for you to be willing to bet your life and your time on bringing other people, giving other people a breakaway? So I grew up in a house of entrepreneurs. My, my dad had started his company. My mom started his company, or her company. So I kind of, I'd seen success, and I'd seen work, family balance, and happiness. And, you know, I just, I, I knew I wanted to do my own thing. And um, did I think it was going to be concert business? Absolutely not. You know, I wasn't like the biggest concert junkie kind of I guess when um, when I was growing up and I'm just really happy and fortunate that like I gave it a shot it wasn't successful I stayed with it and uh, you know here we are and you know just just stay in stay humble stay positive keep your head up we're living in a pandemic and I'm, I'm still bullish on my career and the long term of, of this business well, I think, I think you're going to go far. I just want to acknowledge you for sticking to it and just being an inspiration to the rest of us. I think you're, you're bringing a lot of happiness to thousands of people, and that's, that's, uh, that, you know, that's not something that many people get to do, and I think it's pretty cool. How can people support you, find you? Uh, you're on Instagram, uh, Facebook, or Twitter. Like, Where do you hang out most? Or? Uh, I'm, I'm a big Instagram guy. Um, feel free to... Hit me, it's just at Adam Lynn. Yeah, I'm pretty good with my, my messages. You know, I get quite a few, but I always try to make time and just hit people back and for internships or questions. And I do a lot of press and things like these. And sometimes it's good to just reflect. And, mm-hmm. You know, you get busy as hell, but then you can stop for an hour and talk with someone like you and tell the story. And there's breakaway.com or breakawayfestival.com. Breakawayfestival.com, or do you have like primesocialgroup.com? Yeah. Like where someone can see all the events you do? Uh-huh. Yeah, so primesocial.com, and uh, we have a bunch of these drive in concerts, which you had mentioned Pivot, and we pivoted to that. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in our, our follow up to this. Yeah, I want to get you back once once you get back on track, and I want to, I'd love to get you back in maybe a year or so once things yeah. get back to normal, see kind of how, you, how all the pivoting worked and uh, so forth. But I won't keep you any longer. I know you got to go, but I really appreciate you coming on today and just sharing your story. I think it's a pretty incredible story. Thanks for having me. Anytime. Thanks again for tuning in to The Ultimate Shift. Look, I know life is crazy. Life gets busy. And we all kind of have an idea of where we want to go and where we want to end up. But there's so many things that come up in between. And my goal with this show is to grab one thing from every guest that we can apply to our lives that help get us closer to our end goal. You can follow me on Instagram at Ephraim Glick, Facebook at Ephraim Glick, Twitter at Glick Ephraim, 
or you can go to the website at ephraimglick.com. See you next time.